So great to see each of you here this morning. And uh, I just wanted you to think a little bit about some of the times we see in the news about a government that has become corrupt. Oftentimes, we'll see genocide starting to take place in that country. So either another country's army and government, or maybe a NATO strategy comes together, and they go into that country forcibly and bring down that regime. And then they try to establish a new government, a new regime. And then at some point, they have to have an exit strategy. They have to pull out of there and then hope that things work out okay. Now, I wonder how much planning and strategizing went into Christ leaving the earth. Like he'd already done this through his death, and then three days later, he was back on the scene again. Now, there has to be a sense of closure, and he has to also help transition his apostles into being the architects of the New Testament church. So what would be his strategy? How can he be certain that after his departure, the positive changes that have been made, the change in regime, gone from law to basically a regime under grace, how would that be embraced and passed on from one generation to the next? This must have been an amazing 40 days for the disciples because they weren't sure when Jesus was going to appear next. Like He would periodically appear on the scene. They had opportunities to talk together, to walk together. They ate together. They just enjoyed one another's presence. And then he would disappear. So they must have kind of pinched themselves thinking, like, I can't believe I'm actually talking to someone who was dead and has come back to life again. But they also wondered... How long are these appearances going to last? Would Jesus keep appearing? He'd be here, he'd be there, and then all of a sudden we wouldn't see him anymore? Maybe he's going to set up this kingdom that he talked about. He has proven his power by raising from the dead. Or maybe he's going to go over to Pilate's house and he's just going to kind of knock on the door and say, Hey, Pilate! Remember me? I'm back. They didn't know what he was going to do and how this was all going to end. But today, we're going to find out exactly how Jesus wrapped up the final days of his earthly ministry. And you can read along in the Bible, in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bible, or you can follow up on the screen. But I want you to have a good handle on what happened during the final miracle of Jesus during his earthly ministry. So we see the conclusion to his ministry, and there have been a lot of different appearances that he has made over the final six weeks of his ministry. So in Acts 1, verse 3, after his death, he showed himself to them and proved in many ways that he was alive. The apostles saw Jesus during the 40 days after he was raised from the dead, And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, last week I talked about the variety of people and the variety of places where Jesus made his appearances. And next, we're going to notice that he now gives them some specific instructions. So in verses 4 and 5, once when he was eating with them, he told them not to leave Jerusalem. And he said, wait here to receive the promise 
from the Father, which I told you about. John baptized people with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he has given them a directive, like wait here. And then he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to transform them. And after 40 days, Jesus was now ready to reveal his exit strategy. And the other Gospels tell us that he instructed them to meet him in Galilee, where this all began. He told them to go to a specific mountaintop where Jesus would meet them. Now, they probably suspected that there was something a little different this time because all the other appearances were just surprise ones. They were just random. But he has given specific instructions about where to go to meet him. And everybody made certain that they were there, including all the disciples and perhaps even all of his closest followers. As we read in Corinthians that Jesus at one time appeared to more than 500 of the disciples at one time. And maybe this was that time. It doesn't tell us. But everybody heard that Jesus was going to be on that mountain at that time. And they wanted to be there to see him. So we don't know who came. But we know they weren't disappointed. Because Jesus was there just as he said he would be. Now, we have a lot of movies that are actually filmed here in Halifax, and sometimes you'll hear of some famous actor that's been spotted at some restaurant or something. Like at the first service, I used Tom Selleck because he was here doing a, a whole series of detective novels. And when people hear that, they want to go and maybe catch a glimpse of that celebrity, maybe even get an autograph. I don't know what you do. With hockey players, you have a hockey card. You get them to, offer, to autograph that. But with celebrities, what, I guess a picture of them or something. But then verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 28, and we refer to it as the Great Commission, but it was actually the final words of Jesus. And it says, Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything I have told you. I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. The message paraphrase actually says, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we've had that happen a couple of times today already. And now comes his exit. He ascended. Now, most people know about Jesus' first miracle when he turned some water into wine, but they're a little fuzzy on the final miracle that he performed in his ministry. But this one certainly shows that he has power over the laws of nature. So in verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up in a, into a cloud 
while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Now, maybe you've seen magicians or illusionists do some amazing tricks. You know, they cut a woman in half, and then sometimes you will see them actually appear to be levitating above the ground. But it's all a trick. People know that, but still they go, Oh, wow, look at him. He's floating in the air. And just imagine what it was like for Jesus and the people watching him. Like here he is flying in the air without the use of any smoke or any mirrors. And this isn't just a few inches off the ground. He just keeps going up and up. And then the Bible tells us exactly where Jesus' journey ended. So Mark 16. After the Lord Jesus had said these things to the disciples, he was taken back up to heaven, where he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, Bible commentators will say that this seat at the right hand of God, that was the seat of prominence. It was a place of power. So here was Jesus, who had humbled himself like no other in becoming a human being, is now lifted up like no other. And his ascension is more than just a simple explanation for us to give skeptics to to explain why his body can't be found. It's because he has gone to heaven. And it's also not just a notice of his change of address, uh, no longer a Nazareth of Galilee, but now heaven. It's not that either. This is the consummation of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the close of it all. So he's basically writing in the sky, salvation is possible for everybody. And I love the way the Apostle Paul actually sums up the final three weeks of Jesus' life. And he did this in 1 Timothy 3. But here is this great mystery of our religion. Christ came as a human. The Spirit proved that he pleased God and he was seen by angels. Christ was preached to the nations. People in this world put their faith in him and he was taken up in glory. So that leads us to another area I want us to see, and that is the angel's explanation to the disciples. We usually think that one miracle took place here in the ascension, like Jesus defying the laws of gravity. But there was a second one as well, like verse 10. But as he went up, they kept looking up into the sky. Suddenly two men dressed in white clothes were standing there beside them. Now, I'll guarantee you that those disciples' eyes were fixed on Jesus as he made his exit. Their mouths would have been open as they watched him go up and up into this cloud, and they wouldn't have noticed these other two beings come and stand beside them. And I'm just wondering how long the angels would have let those guys just keep staring up until one of them just kind of cleared his throat and then... They look and, what's this? What's going on, these angels? And it it would have frightened them at first. But look at verse 11. And they said, Why are you men from Galilee standing here and looking up into the sky? Jesus has been taken to heaven, but he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. So the angels confirmed what these believers had just witnessed. And when they saw that he was taken to heaven, 
there was a sense of completeness here. And you have to understand the setting because for 40 days they had opportunity after opportunity to interact with Jesus. And with each appearance, they must have been thinking, uh, yep, he's still with us. I wonder if this is the last one. Like Tomorrow, when we go together, will he be there? They just didn't know. And the day that the ascension took place was different than the others. Like, there was going to be an end to these daily appearances, these opportunities for conversation with him. It was the beginning of a new era. And don't miss the fact that Jesus is going to come back for you. The angels said that Jesus will come back in the same way that he went up to heaven. He's going to come back in the sky. But this time, when he returns on the day of judgment, everybody in the whole world will see him at the same time. And that's great news because the ascension is a foreshadowing of what will happen in reverse when Christ comes back. It's great news. There's going to be a reunion. And now we need to examine the disciples' reaction to the miracles. Like, how would they respond to the fact that Jesus was no longer with them in the flesh? And this is actually further confirmation that they had truly spent time with the resurrected Lord. Because the first thing they did was they obeyed and they went to Jerusalem. They didn't return to their families. They didn't go back to their jobs. Those disciples that were fishermen didn't go and dig out their nets after three years hoping oh, that they're not all rotten. Hopefully we can get something out of them. We didn't, they didn't do that. Matthew, who was a tax collector, he didn't go and get a makeshift tent and set up a tax collecting booth and, and go back to doing that. But they obeyed Jesus' instruction to go to Jerusalem. Now, parents, I know that you all wish that your kids were just like that. Every time you gave them an instruction, they obeyed. They just went and did it. They didn't get distracted by anything else. So what will obedience look like for you in 2017? When his words say some people have gotten out of the habit of worshiping together, but we must not do that. It's easy to worship on Easter Sunday morning. It's easy to do that at a, a Christmas Eve service. But in the middle of a summer day when it's really nice, it, it, it's tougher to follow through on that. When the Word tells us to love our enemies, like will you get out of your comfort zone? Will you actually stretch yourself and stay the way, or are you going to stay the way you've always been? How about when the Word teaches us to give generously. And we make a commitment. We're going to give, you know, 10% of our income. But then we see some big ticket item that we'd really like. Are we going to be faithful then in the commitment that we've made to our Lord? Are we going to be obedient? So they were in Jerusalem because they were getting ready for something that was supposed to happen. And it must have been the final step in Jesus' divine exit strategy. And Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for my gift to be revealed to you. And they did that. They just waited. And we know what it's like to wait. Children have such a hard time. You tell them, you know, in a week's time, we're going to go to somebody's birthday party. And, oh, that week can't go by fast enough. For small kids, one hour can't go by fast enough. 
So just imagine what the wait was like for these disciples. Those 10 days must have seemed like an eternity to them. But they waited and they obeyed. And this is what they did. Verse 14 tells us. They all continued praying together with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. So they knew that something was about to happen. They knew that the wait was over and the church was to be established because it would have the staying power of the Holy Spirit. So why is the ascension of Jesus Christ of primary importance to us as a Christian? This is the question I want to spend the remainder of my time on. See, this question is important because a transition is taking place. God in the flesh has been taken up to heaven to basically intercede on our behalf. So he's going to represent us before God. So don't look for him to make any more personal appearances. If somebody says, Jesus was spotted on the soccer field up behind the Canada Game Center. We're going up there to see him. Are you coming? Like, don't, don't bother going because he, he's not going to be there. But maybe if you want some exercise, you could jog up and then jog around the field a little bit. But you aren't going to see Jesus. His last appearance was at his ascension. And the next time, everyone in the world is going to see him. So a few people aren't going to start spreading the rumors that he has appeared. And unless Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit can't come. It wasn't just the disciples that were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, but it was people for hundreds of years. The Jews had been hearing about it from their prophets. Isaiah even said that this was going to happen in Jerusalem. And then Ezekiel wrote, Because I will put my spirit in you and make you eager to obey my laws and teaching. So Jesus had told the disciples that this was going to happen very soon. So after centuries of waiting, it's finally here. And he says, just hang in there, just a few more days, and it's going to happen. And then after the ascension, early in the morning on the day of Pentecost, it happened. And everything seemed to happen early in the morning. Jesus rose from the dead early in the morning. So those of you that sleep in and miss those early days, you might miss out on something special at some time. Get up early, crack a dawn. But it, the, uh, and then God came down, the Spirit of God came down and instantaneously filled the disciples and they began to speak in languages that they never even knew. And it didn't stop with just the disciples. You turn over one page in your Bible and we look at the concluding paragraph of the first gospel message ever preached in Acts 2, verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So he's basically looking at these people and he's saying, uh, you murdered the Son of God. You placed him on that cross. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Well, brothers, but what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just for the disciples. It was for everybody who placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 39. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then the Bible tells us that 3,000 people made the decision that day. They accepted Christ, and they were baptized. And it says that their sins were removed, and then the Holy Spirit came to fill that void. And it happened immediately. Now, this wasn't just some holy explosion of power of the Holy Spirit. That was a one-time thing, and then the Holy Spirit just sort of disappeared. But he remains in the believer for the long haul. He sustains you on a daily basis through this race we call life. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, is it better to have God in the flesh, to have Jesus there with us, but be restricted to just one place at a time. Like even his appearances after his resurrection. He, he was in Galilee at one point, then he was in Jerusalem at one point, but he was limited to that one place. Or is it better to have God in the Spirit with us who can come and live inside the heart of every believer all around the world? Jesus himself hinted at the answer in John 16. He said, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. When I go away, I will send the helper to you. If I do not go away, your helper will not come. The ascension basically paved the way for God's promises to be fulfilled. There was no need for the Holy Spirit as long as God was there in the flesh. Remember when Jesus healed the man who was paralyzed, and he said to him, not only get up and walk, but he also said, your sins have been forgiven. Like He was God in the flesh. He could forgive sins right on the spot. But he had to go so that the Holy Spirit could come. So the Holy Spirit provides us as a counselor. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit can bring calm in the midst of your stress. When you're frightened, the Holy Spirit can bring assurance. I had to call upon the Holy Spirit at 11.30 last night. My computer was giving me problems all day. I finally got everything together, and I was about to print, and then the printer would not work. But I just found amidst, in the midst of that stress, a little calm. After I yelled and woke up my wife, I finally found some calm. But that's, the Holy Spirit does that for us in the midst of all those times in our lives. Like, Do you rely upon the Holy Spirit in those times of stress, or do you turn to an old habit, or, or maybe even an addiction for your comfort? I like the Peanuts cartoon where there's that character Linus and he's clinging really tightly to his blanket. And he said, all that stands between me and a mental breakdown is this one meter of fabric. And, you know, sometimes that is happening in our lives, but we've got the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And you know those times when our heart is just aching about something and we can't come up with the right words to express to God what we really feel. Well, the Holy Spirit just comes in there and speaks to God on our behalf. 
The Holy Spirit is powerful. You know, and we don't draw upon that power enough. And then there's another theme that we see throughout the book of Acts, the church history book in the New Testament, and that is boldness. They said this about the disciples, like when they saw their courage. So the Holy Spirit had empowered these timid men, these men who they were hiding when Jesus was placed on the cross and when his body was put in that tomb because they figured that they were next. And all of a sudden, these guys have this boldness about them. And instead of hiding, they're preaching about the resurrection. They're out on the streets. They're telling people about it. They're being arrested over and over again because they won't keep quiet about this Jesus character. And why? Because the Holy Spirit empowered them to share the message regardless of the cost to them physically. Like for all, all but one of them, they went to their death because of their belief in this resurrection. So that same Holy Spirit is available to everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. Now, Erwin McManus is a pastor in Los Angeles. He's written a number of books. Some of you may have written some, excuse me, read some of them, not co-written with him. But I heard him speak in Phoenix in 2004. And he shared this story. And, and I want to read it so I get it straight because his son had just come back from a church camp. And as you'll hear, apparently this camp is different from the ones that, uh, that our kids attend at Canoe Cove Christian Camp. This is what Erwin said. He said, I thought that this would be a good experience for my son, sending him to this particular church camp. But when my son came home and I tried to put him to bed, he wouldn't go. He was afraid of the dark. And do you know why? Not because they told him ghost stories around the campfire. Instead, they told demon stories. Now, what do you do when your kid comes home and says, I can't sleep, Dad. They told me all these stories about Satan and demons in the world. I guess I should have sent him to a good pagan camp where they tell you about ghosts. Because when he came home, I could have just said, well, that's not true. There's no such thing as ghosts. Don't worry about them. But what am I supposed to tell my child who is eight or nine years old? Am I supposed to say, Yes, son, Satan is alive and well. He is the prince of darkness. He rules this earth, and he utilizes countless demons that are invisible. They're everywhere. They're in your room. Don't worry. Good night. <laughs> you can't do that. Aaron begins to plead with me. Daddy, pray for me. Pray for me, Daddy, that God will make me safe. And I leaned down and said, Honey, I won't do that, because in my mind, I thought, when it comes to Christianity, I don't want him to live a life of safety. So I said, Aaron, I'm not going to pray that God will make you safe. And then his eyes got real big, and he said, Daddy. And I said, I'm going to pray that God will make you dangerous for Christ, so dangerous that all the demons will flee when you enter the room. And my son looked up at me and said, All right, Dad then you pray that God makes me really dangerous. Jesus meant it when he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And sometimes in this comfortable Christian climate that we live in, I'm afraid we forget 
that the Bible teaches us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become dangerous. We can become dangerous in Halifax. We can become dangerous in Nova Scotia. We can become dangerous in Canada. We can become dangerous to the ends of the earth. That's why in 1 John 4, John wrote, My dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's Spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. So we rely on the Spirit. We listen and we obey its promptings. And please don't miss this. If Jesus had not ascended, we as Christians wouldn't have the personal, indwelling, powerful Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to rely upon that power more than I do. And the longer we're Christians, the more amazed we are about what God is able to do and about the fact that he has taken up residency in our hearts. Christ has been raised up to heaven and is interceding on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is here until Christ comes back. And if you come back next weekend, you'll hear James Stevenson teach about the return of Jesus Christ. He'll tell you the exact day, the exact time, the exact place when he'll appear. Actually, he, he can't do that. As amazing as he is as an associate pastor, like even Jesus doesn't know the day and time when he will <coughs> return. But do you have an exit strategy for when that time comes? Because I want you to be able to check out of this life with confidence, knowing that Jesus is going to call you to his side and then you will go with him to heaven. Because if you don't have an exit strategy, if you have not believed in him and repented of the sin in your life and been baptized into him, then those promises mentioned in Acts chapter 2 aren't going to be for you. That forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to come to Jesus.